Hello, my name is Jacob Hyman, host of A Day a Week podcast, a podcast of sorts consisting of readings of the works of Servant of God Dorothy Day, Peter Marin, and the writings of the Church Fathers on the Social Kingship of Christ. Today we will be reading Poverty and Precarity, published in The Catholic Worker by Dorothy Day in May of 1952. This piece is a meditation on poverty. Dorothy discusses her own encounters with poverty as the Catholic worker has gone about its mission, and she talks about how, in general, the Church does not pray enough to enter into poverty. She is content to pray against destitution and the end of destitution, but not pray that its members might rebuke the world and take on poverty in all means of life. Dorothy also describes the story of St. Ignatius of Sardinia and his interaction with the blood of the poor. It is entertaining and harrowing, as the stories of the saints do be, but makes for great meditation on what it is we give to the poor. Before listening to this essay, I do believe it good to begin in prayer, as, quote, we usually get what we pray for, and, quote, it is grace we need most in this age of crisis, to quote Dorothy Day. As will be expanded upon in this essay, let us make a prayer that we may be poor. Father, Give us opportunities to give away our possessions, our furniture, our books, our clothing, our technology, our food. Give us the opportunity to act courageously and to build up the virtue of courage, to rise to the call of these situations, that they may not just remain prayers or desires, but answer prayers through our action. Give us brothers and sisters to engage in this self-emptying with, through our family, neighbors, parishioners, and even online friends, knowing that you do not ask us to do your will alone. Give us most of all faith, hope, and charity to see Christ in the poor, and to see our taking on of poverty as a death of the old man and a turning into one of our Lord, brother, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Poverty and Precarity, May, 1952 Summary An Essay on the Mystery and Complexity of Poverty, Real and Voluntary Kinds, Enumerates the Many Forms of Poverty, The Irony of Poverty in Rich Religious Orders, and Finally, Poverty as a Means of Helping the Poor. Poverty is a Mysterious Thing we need to be always writing and thinking about it. It would seem strange that we must strive to be poor, to remain poor. Just give me a chance, I can hear people say. Just let me get my debts paid. Just let me get a few of the things I need, and then I'll begin to think about poverty and its pleasures. Meanwhile, I've had nothing but. This last month, I have talked to a man who lives in a four-room apartment with a wife and four children and relatives besides. He may have a regular job, and enough food to go around, but he is poor in light and air and space. Down at Peter Marin Farm, each of the corners of the women's dormitory are occupied, and when an extra visitor comes, she must live in the middle of the room. During a visit to Georgia and South Carolina, I have seen the shacks Negroes are living in, and the trailer camps around Augusta, Georgia, where the hydrogen bomb plant is under construction. They may have trailers, but they are also poor, physically speaking, in the things that are necessary for a good life. Trailers cost money, so do cars, and food is high and no matter how high wages go, a sudden illness and accumulation of doctor and hospital bills may mean a sudden plunge into destitution. 
Everybody talks about security, and everybody shudders at the idea of poverty. And in fear and anguish, people succumb, mentally and physically, until our hospitals, especially our mental hospitals, are crowded all over the country. I am convinced that if we had an understanding and a love of poverty, we would begin to be as free and joyous as St. Francis, who had a passion for Lady Poverty and lives on with us in joyous poverty through all the centuries since his death. It is hard to write about poverty. We live in a slum neighborhood that is becoming even more crowded with Puerto Ricans who are doubling up in unspeakably filthy, dark, crowded tenements on the Lower East Side and in Harlem, who have the lowest wages in the city, who do the hardest work, who are little and undernourished from generations of privation and exploitation by us. We used to have a hard time getting rid of all the small-sized clothes which came in to us. Ladies who could eat steak and salads and keep their slim figures contributed good clothes, small-sized shoes, and I can remember Julia Porcelli saying once, Why are the poor always fat? We never get enough clothes to fit them. The American poor may be fat with the starches they eat, but the Puerto Rican poor are lean. The stock in the clothes room at Christie Street moves quickly now. It is hard to write about poverty when a visitor tells you of how he and his family all lived in a basement room and did sweatshop work at night to make ends meet, and how the landlord came in and belabored them for not paying his exorbitant rent. It is hard to write about poverty when the backyard of Christie Street still has the stock of furniture piled to one side that was put out on the street in an eviction in a next-door tenement. How can we say to these people, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, when we are living comfortably in a warm house, sitting down to a good table, and are clothed decently. Maybe not so decently. I had occasion to visit the city shelter last month where families are cared for, and I sat there for a couple of hours contemplating poverty and destitution, a family of these same Puerto Ricans, with two of the children asleep in the parents' arms, and four others sprawling against them, a young couple, the mother pregnant, and elderly Negro who had a job, she was said, but wasn't to go on it till next night. I made myself known to a young man in charge. I did not want to appear to be spying on them when all I wanted to know was the latest in the apartment-finding situation for homeless families, and he apologized for making me wait, saying that he had thought that I was one of the clients. We must talk about poverty, because people lose sight of it can scarcely believe that it exists. So many decent people come in to visit us and tell us how their families were brought up in poverty, and how through hard work and decent habits and cooperation, they managed to educate all the children and raised up priests and nuns to the church. They concede that health and good habits, a good family, take them out of the poverty class, no matter how mean the slum they may have been forced to inhabit. No, they don't know about the poor. Their conception of poverty is something neat and well-ordered as a nun's cell. And maybe no one can be told. Maybe they will have to experience it. Or maybe it is a grace which they must pray for. We usually get what we pray for. And maybe we are afraid to pray for it. And yet I am convinced that it is the grace we most need in this age of crisis. At this time when expenditures reach into the billions to defend our American way of life. Maybe it is this defense which will bring down upon us this poverty which we do not pray for. I can remember our first efforts 19 years ago. With this issue, we start our 20th year. We had no office, no equipment, but a typewriter which was pawned the first month. We wrote the paper on park benches and at the kitchen table. 
in an effort to achieve a little of the destitution of our neighbors, we gave away even our furniture and sat on boxes. But as fast as we gave things away, people brought more. We gave away blankets to the needy families, started our first house of hospitality, and people gathered together what blankets we needed. We gave away food, and more food came in. I can remember a haunch of venison from the Canadian Northwest, a can of oysters from Maryland, a container of honey from Illinois. Even now, it comes in, a salmon from Seattle, flowers across the continent. Nothing is too good for the poor. There is no one with the Catholic worker getting a salary. No one is so bothered with income tax, and since all of the leaders of the work give up job and salary, others of our readers feel called upon to give and help us keep the work going. And then we experience the poverty of another kind, a poverty of interior goods, of reputation. It is said often and with some scorn, why don't they get jobs and help the poor that way? Why are they living off others begging? Just last month, a long letter came in along these lines, and another group in St. Louis emphasized that they didn't live by begging. It would complicate things rather, I can only explain, to give Roger a salary for his work of 14 hours a day in the kitchen, clothes, room, and house, to pay Jane a salary for running in the woman's house, and Beth and Annabelle for giving her clothes, for making stencils all day, and helping with the sick and the poor, and Bob and Tom for their work and then have them all turn the money right back in to support the work. Or to make it more complicated, they might all go out and get jobs and bring the money home to pay their board and room and the salaries of others to run the house. It is simpler just to be poor. It is simpler to beg. The thing to do is not to hold out on to anything. That might smack of the Aeneas and Safria Act. But the tragedy is that we do. We all do. We hold on to our books, our tools, such as typewriters, our clothes, and instead of rejoicing when they are taken from us, we lament. We protest at good people taking time of privacy. We are holding on to these goods. It is a good thing to remember. Occasionally as we start thinking of poverty, usually after reading the life of such a saint as Benedict Joseph Labra, we dream of going out on our solitary own living with the destitute, sleeping on park benches or in the shelter, living in the churches, sitting before the blessed sacrament as we see so many doing, from the municipal lodging house around the corner. And when these thoughts come on warm spring days, when the children are playing in the park, and it is good to be out on the city streets, we know that this too is luxury, and we are deceiving ourselves, and that it is the warm sun we want, and rest, and time to think and read and freedom from the people that press in on us from early morning until late at night. No, it is not simple, this business of poverty. True poverty is rare, a saintly priest writes to us from Martinique. Nowadays, communities are good, I am sure, but they are mistaken about poverty. They accept, admit on principle, poverty, but everything must be good and strong. Buildings must be fireproof. Precarity is rejected everywhere and precarity is an essential element of poverty. That has been forgotten. Here we want precarity in everything except the church. These last days a refectory was near collapsing. We have put several supplemental poles, and thus it will last, maybe two or three years more. Some day it will fall on our heads, and that will be funny. Precarity enables us to help very much the poor. When a community is always building, and enlarging, and embellishing, which is good in itself, 
there is nothing left over for the poor. We have no right to do this as long as there are slums and bread lines somewhere. Over and over again, in the history of the church, the saints have emphasized poverty. Every community which has been started has begun in poverty and in incredible hardships by the rank-and-file priest and brother and monk and nun who gave their youth and energy to good works. And the result has always been that the orders thrived, the foundations grew, property was extended till holdings and buildings were accumulated, and although there was still individual poverty, there was corporate wealth. It is hard to keep poor. One way to keep poor, of course, is not to accept money, which is the result of defrauding the poor. Here is a story of St. Ignatius of Sardinia, a Capuchin just canonized last October. Ignatius used to go out from his monastery with a sack to beg from the people of the town, but he would never go to a merchant who had built up his fortune by defrauding the poor. Francinio, the rich man, fumed every time he passed his door at being so neglected, though this perhaps seems even more unbelievable than the climax of the story. His concern, however, was not the loss of the opportunity to give an alms, but his fear of public opinion. He complained at the friary, whereupon the father guardian ordered St. Ignatius to beg from the merchant the next time he went out. Very well, said Ignatius obediently. If you wish it, father, I will go, but I would not have the Capuchins dine on the blood of the poor. The merchant received Ignatius with great flattery and gave him generous alms, asking him to come again in the future. But hardly had Ignatius left the house with his sack on his shoulders than drops of blood began oozing from the sack. They trickled down on Francinio's doorstep and down through the streets to the monastery. Everywhere Ignatius went, a trickle of blood followed him. When he arrived at the friary, he laid the sack at the father guardian's feet. What is this? gasped the guardian. This, said Ignatius said, is the blood of the poor. This story was contained in the last column written by a great Catholic layman, a worker for social justice, F.P. Kenkel, editor of the Central Vernin in St. Louis, and always a friend of Peter Marin, founder of the Catholic Worker. Mr. Kenkel's last comment was that the universal crisis in the world today was because of love of money. The present Egyptian crisis is but one scene in the great Oriental drama that has been unfolding for the past years, he wrote. The Far East and the Near East, and he might have said all Africa also, together constitute a great sack from which blood is oozing. The flow will not stop, as long as our interests in those people are dominated largely by financial and economic considerations. Voluntary poverty, Peter Marn would say, is the answer. Through voluntary poverty, others will be induced to help his brothers. We cannot see our brother in need without stripping ourselves. It is the only way we have of showing our love. Thank you for listening to A Day a Week, with new episodes out each Friday. A Day a Week podcast is a podcast of the Tradice Day Catholic Social Action Network, an organizing hub for direct and strategic action in faithful and orthodox support of Catholic social teaching. Christ is the solution. Please reach out through the Podbean or DM me on Twitter to recommend essays of Day and Marin that you would like recorded. Thank you all, and remain in Christ's peace. Pax et Bonum. <laughs>